Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So glad that you are here on episode 118. We got a great episode for you, a great guest. We are talking all about TED, all right? T-E-D, TED, TEDx, TED Speakers, TED, all everything and anything that you ever wanted to know about TED and being a TED speaker you've come to the right place. We've got a great guest for you. Before we get to that, let me remind you, if you haven't already, we put together a new guide for you. We'd love for you to check out. It's seven steps on how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So you can actually download that for free by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash guide. You definitely want to check that out. It's a really, really packed full, real practical, applicable strategies that you can implement right away in your speaking business. So definitely check that out again. That is thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Okay, so today we are talking with my friend Tamson Webster, and uh, Tamson actually helps run a TEDx event in the Boston area, one of the biggest ones actually in, uh, well, one of the most prestigious ones, I should say, maybe actually one of the biggest ones in the world. And so if you've ever been interested in being a TED, TEDx speaker, we talk about, in fact, what the difference is between TED and TEDx, actually two different worlds there. And so we talk about that, we dig into that, we talk about how uh, to get involved into or how to get into a, a TEDx. Talk. We talk about the number of different opportunities. Talk about what makes a good TED talk. We talk about the, there's actually different levels of TEDx conferences. And so we talk about that, knowing which ones are better than others, which ones you should be paying attention to. So, literally everything that you ever wanted to know about the ins and outs of, of TED and TEDx, you have come to the right place. So, and in fact, we were just, we were in the groove talking about TED. We had some other stuff we were going to cover and talk about, it, especially on, on creating a great TED talk. And just a great talk uh, overall that we didn't even have time to, to get to it. And so uh, we're going to actually have Tamson back on a later episode to dig into that more. That's how good this conversation is with, with Tamson Webster. So uh, you can find more about her over at TamsonWebster.com, T-A-M-S-E-N, Webster.com. Definitely check her out. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation, my chit-chat chatteroo with my friend Tamson Webster. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend Tamson Webster, who is a uh, a speaker, a speaker coach, and a consultant. Just she has her hands in a bunch of different things, and she's a a TED wizard. Can we call you that? You can't. Wow! The I TED, just the TED whisperer. Let's do that. The TED whisperer. I like do that. It. We're just gonna go, we're gonna go with that. So, <laughs> Tamson, thanks for hanging out with us. How's your day going so far? 
Day is very lovely. I have to say we have an unusually warm day in Boston. It is mid fifties. So it's our annual January thaw as, as we call it. Nice. Very good. So let's start by you just kind of giving us an overview of what it is that you do kind of in this, the speaking world, the speaking that you do, the coaching that you do with speakers and then your involvement with Ted as well. Absolutely. So the easiest way to sum up everything I do, I think from both a speaking standpoint and from a presentation strategy and coach standpoint is that I help people find and talk about the power of their ideas. So each person I think has a really interesting idea buried in them somewhere. A lot of times we just lack the words and lack the framework and lack the tools to be able to figure out how to get it out there most powerfully. So it does what we need it to do. Right, right. So what does that look like then from a business perspective for you? So are you doing mostly speaking on that to companies or businesses? Are you doing mostly coaching with individual speakers on that? How does that translate? It's about 50-50. So I spend the speaker half of my life talking about a tool for change, how to understand how to make meaning of the world around us, because it's been my experience and my belief and science backs it up that meaning precedes all change. You, you can't have anything happen. No action can be taken unless somebody can make sense of it. So when I'm talking to organizations, it's about why change doesn't typically happen and what are some of the tools we can put in place to make sure that it does. And then I use that same learning and tool that I developed in the work that I do with companies and individuals directly. So I put myself more in the presentation strategist camp than speaker coach, though I do help people with their delivery. Most of my time and frankly, most of my passion is in figuring out if you want to achieve X as a business or an organization, what is the thing that given who you are, what your background is, what your domain of authority is, where your interests and excitement and passion lie, what's the thing that you should be talking about? And importantly, how should you be talking about it so that you raise the probability that you get that thing that you're doing it for? So I definitely want to talk through this this big idea piece because I know that's definitely something that you work with a lot of speakers on. It's definitely something that you're known for, the red thread method you know, of helping speakers to kind of weave this main idea through their talk. I'm interested to hear also about your involvement with TED. What do you do with, with TED, TEDx, and what does that look like? Sure. So my official title with TEDx is I am the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge. So that is the locally organized... It doesn't it? I know. It sounds crazy. No, I liked Wizard. I might adopt that now. (laughs) TEDx Cambridge is a locally organized TED Talk event, and TEDx Cambridge happens to be the oldest one in the country. We're the first license that was issued. It's older than my tenure there. I've been there for the last, we're starting my fourth year at TEDx Cambridge, and my role is multifold, actually. I help I, the executive director, we make all the decisions on who speaks on the TEDx Cambridge stage, and I oversee all the coaching for the speakers for what they're doing, and I design the coaching process for those speakers. And it's pretty hands-on at TEDx Cambridge because on any given event, we only have six speakers, so we make sure that they get lots of love from us and hand-holding. And so far, the results have been good. We have my direct record for getting videos promoted to TED.com is I've gotten officially, (laughs) I've gotten three, but I can say under the radar that unofficially there are two more coming. So five out of 38 speakers, which is 
I'm excited about. That's very cool. Very cool. So let's start by kind of debunking the myth of TED and TEDx are the same thing. So kind of explain <sighs> what are the differences? Because there's so many speakers that say, ah, I gave a TEDx uh, or a TED talk. And it's like, well, you probably didn't. So what, what are the differences there? And honestly, it's pretty arcane and it's probably just people who are involved with TED and TEDx that are going to get their back up a little bit if you misrepresent. But I do believe very strongly that it's, there's no shame in being a TEDx speaker first and foremost. And B, I think you look more generous and more knowledgeable when you, when you are able to say that difference. So what is that difference? So the generally accepted delineation, distinction between the two is that a TED speaker is a speaker who was invited by TED itself, not a TEDx event, but TED based in New York to speak at one of TED's own conferences, which means that as a speaker, you spoke at, we call it Big TED, Big TED in Vancouver, at TED Summit, at TED Global, TED Women, TED Med, TED Active, or you are a speaker who spoke at one of the corporations that has a, an arrangement with TED, like TED at IBM, TED at State Street. Those are the only things that really classify you to be a quote-unquote TED speaker. Now, TEDx speakers are any speaker who spoke at a locally organized TED event, which would be any TEDx. So, you know, TEDx Boston, TEDx Phoenix, TEDx Beacon Street, TEDx University of Nevada, Las Vegas, TEDx Toronto, Sydney, all those other places, Nashville. And so in my mind, if you speak at a TEDx, you're a TEDx speaker. And now where it gets confusing is that as a TEDx speaker, you can have your video promoted as it's called to TED.com. In other words, when you speak at a TEDx event, depending on the level of the event, those talks are videoed. And they get published to the TEDx, big TEDx YouTube channel. TED takes a look, big TED, TED TED.com takes a look at some of those videos. And every year, uh, only about 40 or 45 TEDx videos get promoted. Out of like how many TEDx? About 56,000 talks a year. So yeah, because so think about it this way. There are eight TEDx events a day on average, how it works out. The average TEDx event has two to three sessions of speakers. A session typically has six speakers. So let's say, even to be conservative, it's eight events a day of, let's say, 15 speakers at 365 days a year. And all of those videos are just churning out into the marketplace. And as I said, TED only reserves 40 to 45 slots because the rest of the slots are filled with the speakers that spoke at their own events. So it's really hard (laughs) to get your video promoted. So it is possible that someone is a TEDx speaker who then had their video promoted to TED.com. And while that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, the people who've had their talk promoted to TED.com have slightly more ability to say that. And the reason why I would say that is if you pay attention, Simon Sinek's talk, for instance, uh, was at TEDx Puget Sound. It was a TEDx event, but everyone's going to refer to Simon Sinek as a TED speaker. But of course, he's now gone and spoken on the main TED stage. Same thing is true with Brene Brown. She originally spoke at TEDx Houston, but she is a TED speaker. And rarely, it does happen where a TEDx speaker, and this was true for Amy Cuddy, though this was prior to my years at, at TEDx Cambridge. Amy Cuddy originally gave that talk on the TEDx Cambridge stage. And when TED asked her to come and give that talk again on the TED stage, what happened was they asked us to take our original video down and they replaced it with hers. So, you know, she's a TED speaker. But everybody else, you know, 
own your TEDx talk. It's yeah. a good thing. Totally. You know, be proud of it. So you said that you bring in for a, a TEDx Cambridge event. Is that a once a year? Is that an annual event or do you do that multiple times a year? The previous three years that I've been the executive producer, we've done two events per year of six speakers each. We take a little bit of a different approach. We do at the Boston Opera House. It's this big, beautiful, gorgeous building, seats 2,600 people. So we're actually also one of the largest TEDx events out there by attendance. So we've done two events per year. This year, we're flipping it up a little bit. Instead of two events, we're doing one event in the fall. So we're only doing one event with the big stage and we're replacing the earlier event in the spring with three salon style events. So two speakers each, three of those. Okay. So in an average year, you're helping put on an event or a couple of events that will have a total of around 12 speakers. So just for context sake, how many speakers would you have apply to get those 12 slots? Hundreds. Hundreds. So, and let me be clear. So this is one of the things that often confuses people when they say, well, how do I get a TEDx talk? There's no one simple answer because every TEDx event treats it differently. So some events are invite only, straight up invite only. TEDx Portland, for instance, is only by invite. By and large, I would say that TEDx Cambridge is pretty much only by invite, though we do have a speaker nomination form on our website. Some events are only through their speaker nomination forms. And so each event is different, but TEDx Cambridge is generally, we are looking all the time to find people. And yes, I have people come to me and and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Is it a TEDx idea? First of all, is it a TEDx Cambridge idea? Second of all, but most of the time we are, the executive director and I joke that our version of ABC of always be closing is always be curating. So we are constantly on the hunt. And so, yeah, I always warn people when I start talking to them, I'm like, just so you know, (laughs) I'm going to be listening for your TED idea while you're talking to me. And yeah, if I ever ask strangely probing questions of people I've just met, it's usually because I'm trying to like find the idea and I want to grab somebody before somebody else figures out that, you know, they've got a great idea. Catch that shooting star on the way up. Exactly. Like, God. (laughs) So, So, so because every TEDx event picks and chooses speakers differently, how would I, in my local event, know how to get my foot in the door? Your best bet is to uh, ask around. And the first thing I would say is, if you know anyone who's spoken at your local TEDx event, start with them. The speakers are going to be the ones that are going to give you the true skinny on the event. They're going to tell you how the organizers actually choose. If you know them, they will probably be able to make an introduction to the organizers. I can tell you honestly, no matter what the approach is that any event takes, if you know the organizers it's always helpful. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean you've got a golden ticket straight to the stage, but it does mean that it's it's a way to break through the noise of other people. So the first thing I would say is talk to anybody that you know that has spoken at an event near you. They're going to know what the, the inside scoop is. Yeah. Uh, so if I don't know anybody, are there any options? Like do most of TEDx websites spell that out or do I just need to send an email and ask or what's kind of the, the best approach from there? Most TEDx sites will tell you what their process is at some level. You know, TEDx Wilmington, for instance, right now is, I think their application for speakers is still open. TEDx Detroit, I know, is open. Uh, TEDx UCLA was open recently. I don't know if it still is. Unfortunately, and I know people would love this. So any like business idea for somebody, there is no centralized listing of TEDx events and what their, like, what their deadlines are or where their speaker. And I know because I went onto the TED, like there's this, gated community of TEDx organizers. And I asked them, <laughs> I was like, okay, fellow organizers, is there a list somewhere? And they're like, no, but 
So it really is about researching where you want to go and finding out certain key things. A, what is their speaker selection process? Is it open? Is it invite only? How does it work? The second thing is to determine whether or not they draw from only the local area or more broadly. Some TEDx's are very, very regionally focused and that's what they want. So I remember looking into TEDx Bozeman one time for someone and TEDx Bozeman wants, and they're in Montana, Mm -hmm. they want every speaker to have a strong Montana connection, if not a Bozeman connection. So you need to either say how you grew up in Montana or that you do business in Montana. So they're not trying to pull from anywhere else. TEDx Cambridge, it's a great idea. We don't care. I mean, we don't we don't pay anybody. No TEDx does. You know, many higher level TEDx events do try to get a travel sponsor so that if they are pulling people from out of town, they can at least cover airfare and potentially hotel. But that's a thing to be researching is, is you know, what's the speaker selection process? Do they pull from broader than the local environment? The third thing to try to find if you can find out if you can is what level license that particular event has. This is kind of pulling back the curtain of TED and something that a lot of people don't talk about. There's two different license levels for TEDx events. There's a level one license, which is the starter license. Those events are fewer than a hundred people. They're very tightly managed by TED, not in a curation standpoint, but they have, those folks have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to make sure that they uphold the TED brand. Mm -hmm. And you have to have gone through a couple level one events before you can apply for the next level license. And the level two license is the license that for a lot of speakers who want to use TEDx as a way to move some kind of goal forward, Mm -hmm. you want to look for those events because those are the events that have a larger attendance. B, they've been around longer. So they're, they've gotten the kinks of their processes worked out. C, they probably have a higher production value on the videos. So if your speaker is trying to look to do this, look at the quality of the videos that are coming out of the event that you're going to. Because remember I said that the, the probability of getting your video promoted at TED.com is very, very small. So don't give a TEDx talk thinking that that's what's going to happen. Give a TEDx talk so that you have that experience of doing it and so that you get a good video out of it, frankly, is what I would tell people. And so that means go look at the videos coming out of that event. Do they have a multi-camera shoot? Is it well lit? How does the stage look? Because you can kind of tell just based on what's going on behind somebody, whether or not that was a good TEDx event or not, and whether or not you as a speaker want to have that as your backdrop. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's going to be some TEDx events that seem more prestigious than others and are more high profile or well connected. It sounds like a lot of those are going to be what you described as that level two. Is there any way to like find that online of, of this is a level two and that's a level one? You know, there's, there's going to be some indicators. One is ticket price. So the level twos can charge more for their, for their site. The other is size of the event and whether or not also those events you can sometimes tell, they're, they're never going to say we're a level two TEDx event, at least not that I've seen. You can kind of tell based on whether, sometimes whether they have some of the additional events with them. So for instance, you can't do a salon event unless you're a level two event. So, so TEDx Wilmington, for instance, they did a TEDx Wilmington women, they have salon events. So that's an indicator from the outside that this must be a level two event. You can also tell based on where they're having the event and how many people can come because the size of the event from an attendance standpoint is also an indicator of a level two event. 
So check out those things. You can also go online and it's open to anybody to see what the difference is between the level one and level two license. And you can kind of use that as a checklist as you're looking at an event and say, oh, this must be a level two because I see that they're doing X, Y, and Z. Generally, you can assume that not a hundred percent, but generally you can assume that if the, the thing after the X is a city or a town that you've heard of, it's probably level two, you know, so your TEDx Toronto, your TEDx London, Paris, Sydney, Vienna, Kyoto, Tokyo, Cambridge, Boston is Houston, Portland. Those are going to be level two events. Just carry more clout to with them. Because they've been around longer, right. frankly, because remember that you have to have done a couple level one events before you can even get the level two license. So that's part of it as well. And if you just think about it, like remember the, you know, the, the old days of the web URL land grab, the same thing happened with TEDx licenses. So the, the big cities grabbed them first. And so if they've been effective stewards of their TEDx license, then a lot of times they have grown into a level two license and therefore are a better event, longer event. And frankly, the other hidden benefit of a level two event is because they've been around longer, you've got a higher probability that the TED curatorial team knows to take a look at those events videos when they come through. Gotcha. So if you've got a good reputation of good speakers coming through, they kind of, you know, this isn't a promise. This is not saying I know anything about that, but you got to think that if after a while they start to notice like, huh, you know, good stuff comes from TEDx Portland they're going to notice when the TEDx Portland stuff comes through. They're going to say, Hey, should we just, let's take a look at what TEDx Portland did this year. So let's take a look at those speakers. You know, I think if you want to do a TEDx event as part of your planning or your bucket list or whatever, and frankly, it seems like giving a TEDx talk is now people's bucket list before the book, because everyone's like, it must be easier to do a 20 minute talk. I mean, it's probably takes you less time maybe, but I don't know if it's easier. Look at all those things, take it into account what you're trying to do. And last caveat I would say on that is, I'm sorry to tell all of you aspiring and actual professional speakers that professional speakers are have an extra barrier to cross when it comes to being selected for even a TEDx event. Professional speakers are not forbidden, but they are discouraged. And, and so here's what I tell people who do speak and speak professionally, but still want to get a TEDx talk, make sure that what you are talking about is not something that is your normal keynote talk. So make sure that it's not, you know, it needs to be a new idea. In other words, the TEDx organizer isn't going to look at your stuff and you'd be like, hey, I've got like 72 talks out there you can see because we want something, like you said it earlier, we want to catch the rising star. We want the new idea before it's out there. So if you've written books, that's great. Talk to a TEDx organizer when you've got a new one about to come out. Like that's when we want to talk to you. Gotcha. Um, if you've already got the book talk and you're already talking about it and you're already making money with that talk, that's probably not the talk that we want. We want a talk that's yours. The other thing that I would tell speakers generally about, you know, if you're a professional speaker or you do it on the side or whatever, the nature of the idea for TED and TEDx has to be really sharp. Uh, and what I mean by that is a lot of very successful keynote speakers have a, a personal development message. I think that's probably the better way to put it. They're not business speakers, but it's much more of a personal development message. A lot of times when I get people to say, well, I'm you know, like my talk or my idea, it's kind of like Brene Brown. And that, I get that one a lot. And that's, and then like, and unless you are Brene Brown or unless you do research like Brene Brown did 
and does, then it's going to be hard to go forward with an idea like that. So that's the thing that I would say is that for TEDx events, for TED Absolutely, your domain of authority, meaning your education, your experience, your research, your innovation on a pre-existing idea or a complete innovation of an idea, that bar is very, very high. So if there are, let's say, 12 slots a year that you're looking to fill and there are (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of speakers wanting to get in, what are you looking for and how does a speaker Mm stand out, whether again, whether they're a veteran speaker and they're doing this, they've been doing this for a while and they have a new idea, or I just have this thing that I think will work and I'm hoping to just get on a TEDx stage. And how do you stand out from hundreds and hundreds of, of potential other good, many of <sighs> great speakers? I know. You're like an American Idol judge. <laughs> it is, it's hard. So the one thing I can tell you personally, I can't speak for all TEDx organizers, but one thing I can tell you is that, and also given what I do with my paid job is I hear a lot of ideas. So for me, it's very much a pattern recognition. And here's what I mean. I get and hear so many ideas on a daily basis that it's really easy for me to categorize. I've heard it, heard it, heard it. You don't have the domain of authority, not interesting enough. Okay. And then all of a sudden they'll be like, wait, what, what was that one? That one's interesting to me. Now, And I know that's a hard thing to people respond to. Like, well, how do I know if I'm falling in the pattern of everybody else? Let me take a crack at trying to tell you what is interesting to me. A, for any organizer, any event, it's going to be really personal to what those people are interested in in the moment. And I got to be honest, like what's the zeitgeist right now? So, you know, are people who can shed light on change really interesting right now? Are people who can shed light on political debates really interesting right now? Are people who, you know, so if you have a a broader non-science topic, then you think about how you can cast that idea with it through the lens of what's happening in the world right now. Because we as organizers always want to be topical because we need people to come to the event. So we're always trying to look for what's, what's going to be there. I'm always interested in, you know, a huge amount of my curation. I mean, I read a crap ton and, you know, so anybody who follows me on Facebook or on Twitter knows that, you know, it's at least three links a day of something I've just found because every morning usually for me is about an hour to an hour and a half worth of just seeing what's out there. And you know, I'll be honest, a lot of times if I'll see something really interesting, a new study that's come out or a new take on something that I haven't seen before for TEDx Cambridge, one of the first things I'll do is I'll do a quick scan and see where are they from? Like, are they from Boston? Are they from Cambridge? Are they from Massachusetts? Because that at least will be like, oh, maybe I can get it for TEDx Cambridge. It doesn't mean if somebody's from someplace else that I wouldn't talk about it, but oftentimes just reading helps me be aware of here are new things that are coming out there. So I would say for anybody uh, any speaker, and I don't even care if this is Ted, like the more that you read, the more that you have an understanding of what other people are doing out there already. And you, you get a better sense of how can you find the gap between what people are talking about right now and what you talk about, or the gap between how people are talking about what you talk about. And where is that gap there? So be aware of what else is going on around you. What I'm looking for is new takes on old ideas, new ideas, things that tie into the culture or the times or certain things. There's always going to be certain categories of topics that we're going to want to have a mix in any kind of event. Given where that we're in, we're in Boston and Cambridge, 
you know, there's a huge amount of biotech, pharma, plus all the academic institutions, plus business schools. So what we're usually looking for is things that draw from a lot of academic fields. So we're psychology topics are always popular, always, 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 always. This is one of those places though, if, unless you've done the research, it's going to be hard for you to get in there unless you've done something really interesting on your own. So I was talking with a friend of mine the other day who has its sales topic, which typically would be a, a little bit of a hard push for Ted because we try to stay away from commercial, anything that feels salesy. We don't want anybody on stage where it feels like you're going to be trying to sell something. Yeah. But when he was talking to me about his idea, I realized that the core of his idea was actually about something much more about human psychology. And so I suggested he go after that primarily because in his work as a business person, he had fielded a study like that he, a longitudinal study that he's continued to gather information for over like 10 years. So is he an academic researcher? No, but can he go back and say, look at all this work that I've done? Yes. So it's similar to how, you know, Nancy Duarte, when she did her secret structure of great talks, you know, she went and looked like at a bajillion speeches, you know, is she a communications academic? No, but a, she's Nancy Duarte, but B, she also did a crap ton of extra research to show that. So those are some of the things that will kind of attract my eye particularly. Um, I'm always going to be interested in, you know, just something I haven't heard before. So if you, if one of the ways that you describe your stuff or your idea is, well, I'm like X, but you can't say how you're different from X, then I'd say, keep pushing. I believe everybody has a TED quality idea. I do. I don't know that everybody is willing to do the work to find theirs or to take, to do the work that they need to do to, to get the attention of the, the levels of the TED events or the TEDx events that they might want. It sounds like every TEDx event is almost like takes on the personality a little bit of the executive producers of, so in some ways it's a bit subjective that yes, there's going to be some of these big picture ideas that are going to be pretty universal that are good at just about any type of TEDx events, but it's also going to be made depend, like you said, on the, on the region, on the history, on the location, on what's happening with the times, on, you know, culture, on any number of factors that may yeah. influence that particular event and may make it totally different in terms of what the speakers that they have may make the speakers at one event great for that event, but not right for an event across town. Correct. Absolutely. And so we have a fairly friendly relationship. So the Boston Cambridge area is incredibly unusual because we have three level two events here. So it's very promising for people who live here or are willing to travel here because between TEDx Cambridge, TEDx Boston and TEDx Beacon Street, we have three level two events. It's very common that if our slate at TEDx Cambridge is already full, I'll say, we'll go take a look at TEDx Beacon Street because they do an amazing event. It's a different style of event. They do like 84 speakers across two days, but they have a really good reputation. John Warner is just this amazing guy. He's got a great relationship with the TED folks. And so we can pass people that way. I will do that and with other TEDx organizers. So there's a few that I know that if somebody isn't the right fit for whatever reason for my event, I may just give a heads up to somebody else and say, hey, you may want to take a look at, I know you're looking for this kind of speaker or you know, TEDx blank organizer. I saw this person you might be interested in and vice versa. I get tips from other organizers for people who they think would be good for our event. 
Interesting. We've spent a lot of time covering Ted, and one thing we haven't even we haven't even touched on is the the big <laughs> idea of you know what makes a great TED talk. And in terms of you mentioned that everybody has that TED talk inside of them, and maybe it just needs to be like nurtured and massaged and pulled out. And you think it's this, but it really let's play with it, and it comes out to be something that can turn into something. So, can we have you back? Yeah, of course. Okay, all right. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we could give you could give like a good you know thirty second answer, but no, no, we want the full thing. We want to dig into this of what like because because we were talking a little bit beforehand that that not only like what makes a good TED talk and what you can pack into that you know eighteen minutes or so, but also how that translates to any type of speaking, whether you're doing a a sixty minute keynote or a three day workshop. What is that common thread? What is that common idea? Because I think we've all said in audiences before, where you get to the end of the talk, you listening. to to a talk and you're like, what was the point of that? I don't know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was about. So, so let's definitely, let's dig into that and uh, have you back. You good with that? Absolutely. Let me do give you the 30 second answer. Cause I'm sure people are like, but wait, yeah. I want to know. <laughs> Let me give it, I'm going to give you two different ways to think about it. One is this way that needs to be at the overlap between three things. One, your domain of authority, which is what I call your, I mentioned it earlier, your background, your life, your experiences, your unique stories, your research, your life's work, your education, whatever it is, it has to be squarely rooted in only something you can talk about that you can draw from your own experience. Now, why is that important? Because I've had people who come to me with amazing ideas and I'm like, oh, so do you study this? And they're like, no, I just think it's a good idea. I'm like, I can't like, <laughs> I can't have you talk about it. I'm sorry. I thought of this in the shower. I should do it. Yeah, exactly. Time. It's like, it's awesome. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but you don't <laughs> do that. So I can't, it doesn't work. The second thing that, so you've got to have your domain of authority. The second thing has to be that that thing that's your domain of authority, whatever this idea is, has to meet an unmet need in the world. Meaning it has to help people achieve a goal of some kind. And even if it comes out of your unique experience, if you can make it tie into a more universal goal that people have, the better off you'll be. So I mentioned in passing this friend of mine whose expertise was in sales. The core of the idea was actually a psychological idea that would apply if people understood the core of what he's talking about and, and were, were to apply his method for you know, what he was talking about would help no matter what you were doing, because it was a, it was a situation that he was talking about that applies broadly. Right. So domain of authority meets an unmet need. And the third one, you might find a little surprising, but I can't even tell you how many times this happened. You have to actually be passionate to share it. Now, this may be more of something from an organizer standpoint where I will find someone who is amazing. They've got amazing domain of authority. It absolutely meets an unmet need in the world. And they're like, yeah, I'm not really interested in giving a talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, really? So the thing that I've, I'm like so close. And the thing that I've learned though, is that you can't make them want it. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, that can't be the only reason why you want to talk. And this is why professional speakers get have that extra bar to go over. It's like, they're really passionate to share, <laughs> but it needs to, you know, the higher purpose needs to be, it needs to serve the audience, not only of the, the day or the night of the event, but, but the world, like this is, these are really about ideas that change the world, however you define world. So the easy way to think about that is I call it the three eyes, the intersection between interesting, important, interesting, and individual. So the important piece is, is it important? And from this, I'll borrow from Bloomberg of Radio Lab, who talks about, you know, an interesting, you know, an important idea is one that, yes, it solves this unmet need. So I want to talk about homelessness. That's his example. 
you okay great why do you want to talk about homeless and his example is well you know an important but not interesting answer would be because people who are homeless are often mentally ill now that's a really important idea from a ted standpoint though it's not interesting enough as hard as that is to say to make that cut because most people already know that a large portion of people who are homeless or mentally ill an interesting answer to layer onto the important would be you know, I want to talk about homelessness because, and this is still Bloomberg's example, because a significant number of people who are homeless prefer to be homeless rather than the alternative. But now you want to know, like, yeah, yeah. hey, like, oh, well, more, right? exactly. You just said, well, that's interesting. That's the kind of thing that I'm listening for. Is like, oh, I've never thought about that. And then the piece that I layer on top of that is that individual. Now tell me why you are the only person who can talk about that that way. Yeah. Show me how that ties to your core idea. Because even if the the themes of what you're talking about, you know, other people talk about, because plenty of people talk about big data or, you know, environmental causes or whatever. Show me how that uniquely ties into you, right? So you have something that's from your background or that you can take a different approach on all of this that, that nobody else can tell. And it doesn't mean that, you have to have some crazy, you know, I was a POW for 28 years kind of story. It just needs to be something that's truly individual to you. So important, interesting individual. And that's my quick answer. I love it. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question though. Okay. So I'm curious when most people, when like most speakers would approach you and say, Hey, here's my big idea. Even if you're like, Oh, golden, we like it. It sounds like you guys work a lot with them that we're not like, Hey, show up on Saturday at 10 AM and be ready to give your talk. So like, is that exclusive to you guys? Do all TEDx talks do that? I assume it's like in your best interest to make your speakers look really, really good. It's absolutely, particularly since we have so few is probably why we have, as far as I know, one of the, if not the most hands-on coaching experiences for our speakers. So I work with those speakers for three to four months prior to the talks and we, and we go through everything. So even if they come in with a great idea, what we're going to do is break it down into its component parts, make sure that it's unassailable and how that case is made. We work with them on how to open it, how to close it, how to make it, how to take what, you know, see a lot of speakers come from a, an academic background and the academic format for a talk is very different than what a TED style talk format would be. An academic talk tells you right up front, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's a problem. Here's a solution. Now let me explain it. And that's just not very interesting, you know, and in a short period of time. And in fact, in a short period of time, you can get away with much more interesting storytelling. So a lot of times what we're doing is saying, what's the way that we can, A, make this idea even even stronger? How can we pull out what is truly unique about this idea? And then what we're working with them on very much is how do we get the, how do we get really interesting storytelling around this? so that it's what they want. So of that three to four months, we spend about half of it on the talk itself and the other half on the performance. It's, it divides about half and half. So it's, it, let's say it's six weeks on just getting the talk to rehearsal ready. So getting it to either a detailed outline or to a script. And then the last six weeks are just rehearsing the bloody hell out of it. Right, right. Over. I know that's the <laughs> non-glamorous, non-sexy part that nobody sees. Exactly. Well, a huge amount of revision happens aloud. And so that's yeah. something that surprises people too, which is it can be beautiful on paper. And I will look at it and go like, that's the best talk I've ever seen when I'm seeing on paper. And then they'll give a, stand up to give it. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work. 
it is an art and science. Like we can get it to a certain point on paper and then you just start to have to start giving it. And when you give it, you know, the ear starts to play its best role in saying, ah, okay, you know that story that was three quarters of the way through? Let's open with it. This is going to be much better if we open with that story. And then things get different weight. We change the language around things. But it, you know, those, I would say it's probably, my ideal is to get it, get the talks locked by two weeks in advance, you know, so that they're locked, locked, locked. So that in those last two weeks, they're not iterating on the talk at all. It's really just cranking on getting it into their head. Because while it's not against TED rules to have notes, and in fact, Big Ted increasingly is allowing people to have notes, I, I think it, it gets in the way of people's connection with the audience. Thousand and so, percent agree. Yep. Um, my goal and, the, and part of the process that I take and part of the process that I've developed to take speakers through is designed to just absolutely implant the talk in their head. So they get really, they're nervous at the beginning, like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get the talk? And, you know, to a person, they get to the end and they're like, I know this talk cold. And it's yep. like, I know you do because you've known the components since like week one. Right. So uh, once you know that, then it's, it's much, much simpler to just make sure you nail it the whole time. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, Tamsin, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your insights and wisdom behind the curtain here. And uh, I think next time we're going to dig into more on on how the sausage is made. Absolutely. uh, Show show that. I think that'll be uh, especially interesting for people. So in the meantime, if people want to find out more about you and where you're at, where can we go? TamsinWebster.com. Newly relaunched website. Happy to say so. I've got it pulled up. It's a sharp looking site. Thanks. You need it. You need it. As a, people need to check it out just as a good example. There's most speaker sites are just lame and just, but this is a sharp looking site. This looks really good. This is a thank few, you. Few I pops wanted of color it to, in there and it look, looks uh, good. Well done. Thank you. I wanted it to be very me. So uh, hopefully it's that. So TamsonWebster.com. I have a Facebook page that you can follow, which is Tamsin Webster. I'm Tamadir on Twitter, and those are probably the best things. Awesome. We'll be sure and link up to that in the show notes and look forward to having you back in the near future. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Thanks, Samson. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Tamson Webster about anything and everything you wanted to know about TED. Good stuff, huh? Fascinating. I there's several things there I didn't know about. I've never actually done a TEDx talk and Obviously, I'm familiar with it and heard about it, but there's a lot of nuances there I just was not familiar with. So super interesting and fascinating for myself as well. So really enjoyed that one. And like we discussed there at the end, we're definitely going to have Tamsin back. In fact, we've already got it scheduled to have her back uh, in the future and looking forward to uh, chatting with her a little bit more about uh, how speakers can find their big idea, how they can how they can uh, incorporate their big idea through their talk. So make sure you look out for that episode coming up soon. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode one one. Eight. Again, stop by thespeakerlab.com slash guide to pick up that free download on the seven steps to finding paid speaking engagements. All right. Definitely check that out. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Awesome.